0: Welcome to another episode of the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to the referendum on Scotland's future is underway, and in these podcasts, we're examining the choices for the Scottish public, looking at what we do differently to Westminster already with the limited powers we do have, and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved, and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland, because...
1: As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us.
0: I'm your host Drew Hendry NMP, and in this episode I'm in conversation with Michael Sturrock. Michael voted against independence in the 2014 referendum but has completed the journey from no to yes in the intervening years. In fact he's now so convinced that Scotland needs the powers of independence that he founded the website no2yes.vote to better capture the voices and debate about people moving from no to yes on Scottish independence. He's worked with a business body as head of public affairs, working between the EU, UK and Scottish parliaments on issues as varied as data, privacy, tech, artificial intelligence ethics, as well as international trade and Brexit. As a musician, he's a keen drummer, although keep your head down if you see him perform as he has been known to accidentally launch his drumsticks into the crowd. Michael, thank you uh, very much for joining me on this uh, podcast today
1: thanks very much for having me
0: Michael you voted no in 2014 you've been living in France uh, before returning to Scotland uh, prior to the 2014 referendum when you when you were in France how was the referendum viewed by people living there
1: yeah so I was I was in France literally on the day of the referendum I'd, I was uh, living there and watching it from afar but it was, it was quite interesting, actually. I think the comparable difference between now and then is, is massive. Um, people knew it was happening, obviously, but it was kind of uh, just a kind of interesting thing that was happening in another country far away that, you know, probably wasn't relevant, probably wasn't going to happen. And, you know, subsequently there wasn't too much interest.
0: And um, having voted no in 2014, what were the factors that made you feel that you wanted to vote that way?
1: Well, I mean, be, being in France at the time is sort of the, the prime one. Um, I was there on an Erasmus um, scholarship, um, I was in essence being paid by the European Union to be there, they were funding my studies, they were giving me a stipend to live, I was able to live and work in the European Union and it kind of comes back really to that tweet that we had by Better Together, what is the way of losing your EU membership, voting yes. And I don't think that was unfair to to draw that conclusion. You know, there's certainly more argument to it now. <laughs> as we know, it's <laughs> gone the other way, of course. Yeah. But uh, to me, that was the most logical thing. We had European Union membership being part of the UK, going uh, going uh, becoming independent. We probably would have joined the EU at some stage later on, but there would have been a, a step-by-step thing to get to that as well. So for me, it was something not losing what you already had, in essence. So that was the kind of main driver, I just didn't want to lose the benefits, as we know the European Union benefits are one of the main things that drive support for independence now. So those are the really fundamental things that I thought, yeah, this is a great, valuable thing to have, European Union membership, and I don't really want to give that up.
0: And having had that uh, feeling that this was a really valuable thing, when the No campaign put forward that message, as they very much did during the campaign, for you that was the the real clincher were there any other factors that uh, that were sitting around the back of your mind at that time
1: yeah well i think you know we'd had maybe well i suppose it was four years or three and a bit years of the um tory Dem coalition at that point and we didn't really see we knew sort of austerity as a, a theory um but the impact of public sector funding cuts uh, the impact on the the poorest and most vulnerable in society hadn't really come to bear yet and as that has happened and you know we we see the state of the nhs trying to deal with coronavirus and in, in the first instance and the uk government realizing oh all this money we've we've been cutting over the past decade we have to put, put it back in to make it fit for purpose um homelessness going up by 141 percent people on benefits having their uh, being pushed into poverty and um, poverty going poverty rates themselves going up poverty in children rates going up it is really uh, such a sorry state of affairs we have in the UK at the moment. And, you know, that, that is something that's really changed my mind about our attitudes uh, towards the most vulnerable in society. And,
0: and do you remember that, that kind of moment or that period of time when you made that change from saying, no, I'm a no-voter, I believe I did the right thing, to yeah. actually now I've reconsidered this and I can, I can see there's a different answer to the, the issues that I have?
1: Well, it, it was pretty instant, actually. Um, I, I, I guess I was a soft no to begin with. You know, if you look at the, the sort of criteria of people, I was young, um, I was internationalist. Um, you know, I, I should have been in the yes camp. Most people my age were in the in the yes camp, but it was essentially the morning of the Brexit vote. Um, I was. Uh, in edinburgh and actually i was going to the highland show and then we we had all these facts about the european union that were coming out far too late to (laughs) change the change the result but 50 percent of farming income for example was coming from the european union we're off to the highland show to um see what was uh, the agriculture sector and and, um people were just absolutely demoralized and i say that with with farming farming family as well um so yeah it was pretty instantaneous i thought well the only way that i can I see my values, the values that I had in the 2014 referendum, pro-European, internationalist, um, liberal. um, I don't see how they can be achieved while part of the UK. So in essence, you know, my view didn't really change. My interpretation of what needed to be done to get there became markedly different.
0: You you said earlier that you felt that it was reasonable for the the no campaign to say that, uh, you know, that Scotland might be out of the EU as a reason to... Vote against independence, but you've also just talked there about farming and the impacts. Do you, do you feel that you had the the full suite of facts uh, in front of you in, in terms of the twenty fourteen referendum?
1: Um, I pro- probably had more than most people. Um, as part of the way through a politics degree, had was more politically engaged. Um, understood, you know, what the European Union gave people in terms of um, you know, Erasmus and, and uh, other other schemes like that. So at the same time uh, of course not no one does uh, these are huge constitutional matters that are impossible to get your head round. Um economists um policy experts there are all competing views you can look at the figures look at the facts and arrive at different positions so it is is i, I don't feel particularly bad about not having all the facts i you know everyone made a judgment call uh, and that's what i did
0: okay and since 2014 since that no vote You've already said you you, you had that that moment where you can say yeah well, this there's a different way to get what I need in my life and that's through independence uh, for it. and what other things have changed for you since then do you think rather than just that European issue,
1: um, I guess just the whole yeah as I say it sort of goes back to sort of the attitudes of the state the approaches to society and what we envision. The the government and the state should be doing. There's a, a more. Um, do you
0: feel the actions of the, the the Tory government have, um, you know, helped your view as it is at the moment, or hindered it, or, you know, where 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 do you feel that what they've done since then, um, has has changed things?
1: Absolutely, I think we, <laughs> my my day job or previously my day job before i've now come and work um, working for angus robertson as it happens um but my, my previous day job i was working for a trade association representing businesses and working between parliaments and the attitude of the government towards um, people who are trying to make a living is is astonishing. It was just of no concern. I mean, remember Boris Johnson um, saying you know, "f business" mm-hmm. um, and and their interest. And in, you know, obviously, we need to be thinking about people first and foremost. But you know, we also have an economy to look after. We have businesses to support. People are trying their best to do what they want to do with their lives and make products and services that they think are um, are good and good for society. And you know, the, the support for people there has just been completely ignored. It has been in place of that has been this kind of a strange ideology I find about pursuing this kind of fake notion of um, a sort of buccaneering state that can go out into the world and pursue these great free trade agreements and make everyone wealthier which is just it's not the way that the world works there is no such thing as a, a kind of unitary state that exists apart from other organizations we're all part of the UN we were a part of the European Union we're still part of Europe we still interact with other uh, other countries and you know by, by definition we have trade group agree- we will have trade agreements with other countries these are just all ways of integrating and I believe that Scotland has a much better approach to integration in that we we also align values for a start we have you know th- the way to deal with things like climate change with mm-hmm. poverty with um, migration to treat asylum see- seekers better is to do that uh, certainly as a as a region as a continent uh, but also just be in a, in a more um, I guess a uh, concrete um, block and be able to do that with greater cooperation around the world as well, whereas the UK is just no longer equipped to do that following Brexit.
0: Okay, there's a website called uh, no to yes.vote. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so this is something I set up at the end of last year because it's became very clear that my journey was not um or I was not alone in my journey there's plenty of other people who've made this uh, journey as well so I thought and there are other things uh, coming coming to uh, interplay that are doing similar things which is absolutely fantastic including this podcast as well and um, but capturing the voices of those who have moved from OTS is really important hearing the story um, but people have huge other motivations um, for turning from OTS there's really interesting one there's um some people who are just motivated by by um by uh, culture, art, music, poetry—our, our, you know, our shared, um, our shared culture and society—and that is something that they feel have, they've have been alienated as well as something that might not have occurred to me, um, certainly. But people feel like their their cultural ties are more strengthened than being um, with their their um, uh, with people in Scotland, and that that's their reason or motivation for moving from No to Yes. So there's there's a huge amount of different reasons why people are moving from No to Yes, and I just thought it'd be really interesting to capture them, not only just to. You know, observe this phenomenon. But uh, what are the then the challenges to them? Because we all have to be open-minded about how we approach um, or how we present our views, how we listen to others' views, and what are the things that we might not have thought of still. Um, so, I think it's really important to to be able to discuss that, have them on paper, and, and look at that. So, that's the main reason behind the the blog. I'm trying to make it into. Uh, something else. I'm re- I'm, I guess I'm welcoming ideas as well because this is. I don't want this to be a sort of singular project. I want people to come on board. So if and anybody's listening things,
0: and they want to make a suggestion, yeah. then tell them to get in touch, absolutely,
1: right? absolutely. I think that's that's really important and to make this the strongest political movements, Obviously, we have to welcome in as many people as we possibly can. So I'm I'm hugely open minded to that. And if you have stories as well, please get them in and we'll get them up and get them shared. And yeah, and and the, the engagement as well, Drew. It's is really interesting because we know Twitter is can be a very argumentative place and can be a really brutal place in fact but the debate that we've had around this has been really interesting and I, I was slightly fearful before we did it but now it's been um, people, have, people have just at least had general interest even if they don't believe the arguments that are being put across and people are thinking oh well you know I've been being challenged by that so um, I'm, I'm hugely more positive about it than I was <laughs> before I started it.
0: So Michael is EU membership now the sole factor that puts you on the Side of yes.
1: Um, I think if you'd asked me that a few years ago, I might have said yes. Um, well, maybe a good few years ago now, actually. But no. And um, as I say, it sort of comes back to this whole attitude towards uh, statehood, how we provide for people in society. I'm, I'm all in favour of greater support for the most vulnerable. An um, uh, internationalist approach, um, a more um, ambitious. Uh, idea of how to deal deal with climate change and the big issues of the day, and clearly that is not going to be achieved while well, we're we're part of the UK and there's a, there's a lag and there's too much opposition in the UK for these um, huge questions to be addressed as well as I feel they would be uh, in an independent Scotland.
0: What what in your view is the a soft no voter? How how do you categorise somebody who's a soft no
1: voter? I, I think so we have this quite interesting divide, you know, roughly figures wise, there's a, a strong third in favour of independence, a strong third against independence, although that's that's potentially a you know overestimation of, uh, of the amount of people. Everyone else, I feel, is a soft no, mm-hmm. or at least has the uh, potential to become a soft no, because the, the context has changed so much that people can't really look at this argument in the same way as they have before. Some people say, oh, well, we had the question, but it, it's, it, it would be bizarre to me to, to maintain this line that we are in any way the same situation as we were in 2014. There is substantial change, or whatever the, the, the phrase was, and when we a, a few years ago and the criteria for having this question again. So I, I think everyone is open-minded. There is a debate that has begun, but still needs to be had. And insofar as that's that's the case, I think people are are quite willing to accept that the the um, circumstances have changed. Certainly showing, you know, the attitudes to. Um, whether well, that's social attitudes and and the uh european the referendum result as well the, the brexit referendum result as well i think that just shows the clearest divide um between uh the uk uh scotland and the uk and you know we look at the um, electoral um, potential for Labour and the Tories in in, uh, in England and uh, and Wales to an extent as well. And we see the the cataclysmic the chasm <laughs> between um, the preference for right wing parties and those for social progressive parties north of the border.
0: Mm-hmm. Very different paths. Okay, okay. Yeah. You've 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 obviously you've got this resource for um, uh, no to yes vote. You've you've talked about different uh, resources that people can access on them, but in terms of engagement with people. What do you feel is the best way to engage with, as a former no-voter yourself, what do you feel is the best way to engage with former no-voters?
1: Yeah, so this is, you know, as important as the issues are and the, the change in context, or as important as it is to recognise the change in context, is the way we engage in the conversation and the way we persuade people.
0: Because some some people um, are angry about you voting no in 2014 and... Um, and then becoming a yes voter, you know, is that part of the problem? How do you feel about that whole thing?
1: Yeah, that, that's true. And I, I to some extent, I, I, well, I completely understand it. Uh, to be honest, you know, I, I, I uh, not in theory, in practice, stood in the way of them achieving their political aims uh, in twenty fourteen. Nonetheless, again, we all made a judgment call. Then um, people are allowed to vote for the. Uh, Political result that they want. So I get people being angry. I, I, you know, don't sympathise with people who you know vote for right wing parties, Brexit parties, etc. And you know, I might be angry at them too. But you know, ultimately that's how democracy works, and I respect people being angry at at people making my decision. But you know, that's how the world works. And also, you know, we didn't have the numbers in
0: 2014.
1: So if you're going to take that approach to people who we need to get across onto the S yes sides, then it's not going to be particularly effective. And as I say, engaging with them in the right way is, is hugely important. So, for example, approaching an argument with someone, we we need to be sort of very active in the way we listen. And again, the nocs.vote yes uh, yes. blog is trying to do this, and that is putting these arguments on the page uh, and you know in, in a fairly accessible way and asking people to engage with them. And Showing that you have listened to someone is the most effective way of... Do, of
0: do, you, think it's Im, do you think it's important psychologically for people, you know, you, you've described a, a set of emotions that people have a right to feel. You talked about democracy and, and people feeling they've had their ambitions stamped on and so forth. But do you think it's important to, if you find somebody who's made the journey that you have, um, to, to welcome that, um, to understand that this is, this is a, really a win that's occurred here that you've persuaded a person that you needed to persuade uh, whether whether it was through direct action something they've hap- uh, that's happened to them or something they've seen but there's been a, you know a, a persuasion that's happened there that, that we should be celebrating rather than uh, saying oh well, you silly thing you should have done that in the
1: first place yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I think that's that's true and uh, well I don't think it's, it's not only true it's fundamental yeah uh, to the, the the success um we, we can't take this better approach to people it's not it's not going to work and you know our, our vision of independence is one that is positive uh it is welcoming it is showing our um, empathy and um collective ambition um, and i don't think it is consistent I mean, with that to be angry and um i i guess you, yeah, you can't imagine really may have made mistakes in the past
0: <laughs> we're recording this during wimbledon obviously andy murray's mm. gone out unfortunately but played some great tennis while he was there but you can't imagine somebody like Andy Murray speaking to someone and then telling him that they didn't used to be a fan but now they are and him turning around and going well you're stupid in the first place you know (laughs) what you want to do is get people on uh, board and you know all these tools and other things are really helpful but if the attitude isn't there that says we've got to really welcome people into the uh, this direction now it's going to be counterproductive
1: yeah and also you know when to try and win this referendum as well we have to understand the reasons why they voted no too so if we say oh you're, you're so stupid then just dismiss what the reasons were that they voted no in the first place then we um, then we're just not going to understand what the barriers are for other people to come from no yes as well so you know the, the, as i say there's really sort of an active listening role that we yeah. have to understand there and then you know another another really helpful tool and i think is is maybe sort of indicative of of the the um twitter sphere of just people sort of being hyperbolic about their understanding of of others argument oh so you think that xyz and just saying something completely ridiculous and hyperbolic one of the tools that i think is really helpful is to try and repeat someone's argument or concerns back to them in a Mm -hmm. way that they would think is fair Mm -hmm. so if you can capture their argument and um, and, and you know discuss it in a way that they recognize and they say yes you've you understood this issue then you can begin to engage constructively from there and again sort of being active and listening and not saying oh but 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 every time they say something you mm-hmm. think you disagree with but you know taking it all in that's going to be so important for people to uh, to engage with this debate and you know we had we did have a really good debate in 2014 and I think we need to we're in danger with the sort of current political uh, current Twitter narrative and the way debates have become so divisive particularly in Scotland over contentious issues we're in danger of independence becoming that as well and, and of I course we just need a bit of it,
0: and as you said that attitude where you know people find things to disagree about things on which they agree um you know is, is just food, meat and drink to the uh, uh, to the campaign that would see you not having independence would want to to stop um, independence yeah. in its tracks isn't it
1: yep yeah, totally and I think you know, if we have if we have a negative uh, argument and we've seen the the many in the in the no camp not not entirely but many in the no camp are already trying to do this sort of negative campaigning project fear as some might say um, I think it's a bit more um, you know, nefarious and we need to be a bit more um, recognizing what they're actually trying to do um, some people are taking that approach already in, insofar as the debate is negative we're playing into their hands because mm-hmm. that's the that's the line that they're pursuing so if we, if we understand this whole thing is negative then that's going to play well,
0: into their hands. I, I want to come to the strategy and tactics of the opponents of independence in a second or two do you want to see a vote brought forward to uh, get this done now or do you think that the strategy of you know this the engagement over a period of time is important?
1: Yeah I think the biggest turn off for a soft no voter is independence needs to be done tomorrow. We need to have the vote and we need to be out and away tomorrow because this, this is a lesson we need to learn from the Brexit debate. We cannot rush these things through. We need to do it in a sensible way. Um, th- those who are soft no's at the moment have concerns about their pension, have concerns about the economic effect. What is going to happen but, if we do out to, you, from the rest of the UK?
0: But from your own personal perspective, Michael, you're out of the EU now. Um, and we're yeah. seeing the disastrous consequences of that. Um, yeah. You know, some people would say, you know, we've got to have this vote um, now to get back in as quickly as possible. What, what would be your response to that?
1: Well, totally. I mean, I, to be honest, I'd have I'd have the vote tomorrow happily, but yeah. it's, this is about the journey from then. You know, the moment we have the vote, we are... Uh, th- that's not the end, obviously. this is That's the beginning of the project of independence, and we need to do that. We need to establish the best... Um, chance that we have for success by taking it day by day, taking it step by step. There are criteria we need to meet to join the European Union. It's going to take some time to do that. That's fine. Um, but let's let's give us the best chance of doing it as soon as we can by ensuring we have everyone along with us as well.
0: So what do you think the prospects are for persuading enough former no voters?
1: Um, I think that... So I, I have this notion that actually, if we have a yes vote tomorrow, I think most people are going to be okay with it. I think people who uh, are, are hard-nosed are always going to be hard-nosed. And, you know, that's, that's the nature of society. We can't bring, you know, or we can't have everyone agree. And it's important that we have people in opposition to make us think and make us meet, look at ourselves again. But again, we have this huge portion of soft-nosed that I think really are, will be quite willing to say, okay, this is the way it's happened let's get on board with this and let's support it. And not only that, I think there are quite a lot of uh, Conservatives in Scotland who are quite willing to do it as well because they do see um, the, the business and economic benefits of being in the EU in the long term as well.
0: Especially now after six months of the Brexit deal that the UK t- government t- totally. <laughs> it's put in place. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. Okay, um, I said I wanted to come back to the strategy and tactics of those opposing independents. It seems to be, uh, you know, there's a a choice, as far as I can see, it's a very kind of linear choice of uh, tactics. It's either reviving Project Fear with real kind of aggression or promising some new, um, you know, federal kind of version of the UK that is going to work. Um, now, Now, somebody who's at Westminster... You know, I can see there's absolutely no appetite whatsoever um, across the government benches, and even the Labour opposition benches that we uh, sit next to, uh, for for taking a serious look at any kind of federal option, and there never has been um, with it. Plus, you know, under the current UK setup, it doesn't seem to be. What What are your thoughts on these strategies? Do you think they're winners?
1: So I think it's important to acknowledge there that's that's a a crucial advantage we have or a disadvantage they have is there is a split in the unionist vote now one that wants to engage with the independence referendum properly and one who wants to just completely alienate alienate them project fear this isn't happening we're not going to give you a section 30 order just ignore it we've had the votes blah 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 so you know obviously the ones who are saying okay we actually need to engage with this debate are the more realistic ones are the ones who are going to have more success. So, but as you say, there there are just the Conservatives and Labour. They have no interest in uh, in reforming uh, the UK as it is. Gordon Brown says, you know, that the next independence referendum needs to be not between Scotland independence and the status quo, but some new setup of the UK. And no one really understands how much work needs to go into some new setup of the UK. The the, the balance of it, and we talk about democratic deficit all the time. That's true, but we also have Obviously, in Scotland, at the very least, we need more powers to be, um, to, to say some people's desire for independence, um, VAT, cooperation tax, benefits, social security, there's a huge amount of things that need to be done. Not only that, there needs to be um, this kind of fundamental rebalance, how do the four nations work together in, in terms of population, 85, 90% live in one part of it, you cannot have a balanced approach to a four nation country, when 85% are there, and there is no national oversight mm. from the other parts of the uk so how do we reform or how do they reform how do they suggest to reform the uk i have no idea that's a huge amount of work uh, and frankly independence is a lot more simple than that and the arguments have already been examined and already been put through the uh, growth commission which granted needs to be updated but house of lords reform another thing voting mm. reform yeah. there are these huge democratic questions that are just completely unanswered and there is yeah. no appetite why on earth would the conservatives and labor give up what they have just now, a monopoly over the political system. Why on earth would they give that up to, to say, 10% of the population? It makes no sense. Mm-hmm.
0: And the. Uh Obviously, the, you know, as I've said, I can't see any appetite at Westminster for uh, changing things uh, from a UK perspective. It, it just doesn't exist. I mean, they are more concerned after the fourth fourteen referendum about English votes for English laws. That was the first thing that Cameron said on the doorstep. So, you know, and they already have an English parliament. So there, there's no need to, it's Westminster, you know, they don't need to change these, uh, these things from a lot of Tory and Labour MPs' perspective. So there's not a lot of hope they are getting that change. Now, you know, this podcast is called Scotland's Choice. It's about the referendum, about the run-up to the referendum and having a discussion about that. There, there is a concerted attempt uh, by certain, particularly Tory MSPs and MPs, to deny the parliamentary democracy that's occurred in Scotland to uh, give a majority in the Scottish Parliament to have a vote. If you can, and I know it's difficult, but if you can put yourself back into the mindset of when you were a, a no voter, how do you feel about that message that's being put out which tries to deny parliamentary democracy?
1: Um, well, first of all, yes, it is actually quite difficult to sort of put myself back in those <laughs> shoes because it is so different and, yeah. and you know, the, the, way, <laughs> the way I see the world now, but um, it's just so obviously the wrong approach. Hmm engage with someone in their argument and in a democratic society we talk about we talk about democratic society as a, or a fruitful democratic society as one in which we can engage with each other in in political discourse and respectful discourse mm-hmm. it, it just goes against all that and yeah. there is no it is it is a demotivating tactic and i think will put soft no voters off and what that will put soft no voters off, no voters off and um they're welcome to do that if they want, frankly. Because as far as it, I'm concerned,
0: I ask the question because, from my point of view, when I look at you know my uh, my my democratic feelings as opposed to my constitutional ones, I think it's a really dangerous argument for those people that are making it. Because at some point, if you start to say, "Well, parliamentary democracy doesn't matter in Scotland," then clearly the follow-on from that is it matters a lot less in Westminster as well. Now, you know, we know that the. Dory government have been doing a lot, which actually undermines their own democratic structures um, in Westminster. But um, but it just seems to be an ever decreasing kind of uh, circle in terms of the argument over democracy. And for me, it's one that doesn't stand. Let Let me ask you uh, one final question, uh, Michael, about uh, your journey. Obviously, you're now a committed yes voter. You believe in um, independence. You want to see us rejoin um the EU but you've talked about social issues as well what are your general feelings and you know obviously this will be up to an independent uh, Scottish government however that's formed whatever party is in the future how do you feel about the general direction of Scotland um, and the rest of the UK do you see a a big political divide in terms of the way you look at the future and what do you see what what are your hopes for an independent Scotland
1: Uh, Yes, I think fundamentally there is a huge political divide and and we just also recognise that's okay. But if we are all Democrats, then we need to make political structures that reflect the different views of different societies and independence is clearly going to do that for Scotland. Um, I think the ideas that Scotland have as a a political entity are much more coherent and much more um, established or agreed between the population. I think um, England... between you know the southeast or, or um, uh, the north and the south, there is actually still quite a lot of divide there, and they're going to have to work out how they deal with that. But in Scotland, it's a lot more cohesive. We have a vision of society. We understand there are fundamental, more um, um, pretty much, yeah, fundamental threats like climate change, and, and there's going to be huge knock ons and, and things we need to address as a country, as a, as a collective, and we are more clear in how we see the world. Um, We understand there are people in society that are still vulnerable and it's not acceptable for developed economies to for that to be the case Uh, and we are more open-minded to progressive policies um universal basic income to be an example of the viability of that whatever another debate for another time but there are there is just a general preference in Scotland for this more positive I would I would argue vision of the future where people have better lives we are better able to deal with the larger issues of the day and I think um we are more unified in our vision of that and that needs to happen as far as I'm concerned so yeah I'm, I'm hugely positive and I think uh the generational aspect as well 70 something percent of of young people support independence um that, that's that's pretty definitive really isn't it that's that's the future is set right there
0: Michael Sarek, uh, former No voter, now very much a Yes voter. Can I thank you very much for enjoying for for well, I've enjoyed having you on this uh, Scotland's Choice podcast. Thank you very much for for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So there we have it. Michael, like many others, has changed his vote due to the broken promises of the No campaign. In his case, especially over our EU membership. But he also now sees the role of austerity and Westminster's disregard for Scotland as important factors. He now believes that an independent Scotland can create a better society for people living here. He's keen that pro-independence supporters welcome others who've made the journey and to try to understand the reasons. Former no-voters can contribute their stories at his website, no2yes.vote. My thanks to Michael for taking part and once again to you for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice.